She is the silent sphere. You give us hope. You've given us life. You make what lies in the darkness tremble. And God, we thank you for that. And I thank you that whatever we're walking in the door with, that we can set that aside because what we just sang is true. What we sang is the truth. And that the things that we're dealing with don't compare to what we just sang about you. God, we believe that. We thank you for it. We thank you that you paid. You paid it all. You gave us a hope and a future. God, we love you. And we thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
you glad to be here? Let's thank our God. He paid it all. Jesus paid it all. You may be seated as we continue this morning. You know, uh, every now and then we have an opportunity to have one of our missionaries in. And this morning we have uh, one of our missionaries are on that list, Jan and Anna Franca. And so some of you have been praying over that still. We thank God for the gifts that we were able to send out all over the world. And uh, one of those people that we were able to uh, support is Jan and Anna Franca. They're missionaries to Serbia, currently pastoring in Windsor, Canada, and uh, God has called them to, uh, to Serbia. So uh, would you welcome the, this morning, I'm going to ask them to share about just a few minutes before uh, we go to our announcements this morning. Would you welcome this morning Jan and Anna Franca to our service? Good morning. It's good to be here and be with all of you. Um, as we were traveling yesterday to Pittsburgh area, we enjoy our trip. We stopped at Cleveland um, to have a good lunch. And uh, there is one church in Cleveland also partnered recently with us. And it's former Czechoslovak Baptist Church. And really we are, we are blessed with a church as well, something similar like, like with you. And as I mentioned, it's good to be here, and it's really a privilege for us to be able to share the ministry and call what Lord uh, put our heart where we are going. We are thankful to Pastor Ken, to Eric, and Charity as well, Eric Sherida. Uh, we knew them from Czechoslovak Baptist Convention back from 2010. Um, and Eric and uh, Eric Sherida and uh, Charity, they are also our ministry partners, one of the very first from two years ago. Back in November, uh, as we were coming home from ABWE seminar, our ministry headquarters in Harrisburg, we stopped here at the church and we met uh, Pastor Ken. We shared briefly our ministry and we enjoyed the spirit here in the church. So that was a really good experience. Um, we are thankful for support our church already sent to our mission agency and we can we want to share with you that uh, we are already, with this support, we are already fully funded and ready to move to Serbia to the mission field. So who we are, who we are, as you can hear from uh, just a few sentences that English is not our first language. So obvious, right? So uh, we are Canadians, Canadians with Slovak ethnic background. And yesterday and today we learned that uh, Pittsburgh area, it's, it, there is a lot of Slovak, or used to be a lot of Slovak. Some of, uh, yes, even yesterday, uh, some people approached us telling us that they had Slovak roots. Grandfathers and grandmothers came from Slovakia. It was nice. It was nice to meet uh, some of you who had the same background. So we were raised in former Yugoslavia, so it's not Slovakia, former Yugoslavia as a Slovak minority, and we were ministering in, before we came to Canada there. We were raised in two 
cultures, two languages. We got education in Slovak and Serbian. And we know both histories, both religions and, and customs. And we are ready to go back to Europe and serve in those two nations, among Serbs and among Slovaks as well. And we don't need extra time to learn this, um, this uh, area where a lot of missionaries are going through and they need to spend a years, a years to learn language, culture, and history. Yeah, so we are from former Czechoslovakia, from former Yugoslavia, and now from Canada. And we hope Canada is not going to be former in future. <laughs> And um, we came to Canada um, only because of ministry. Uh, uh, Grace Baptist Church in Windsor, Ontario, was founded in 1927 by Czechoslovakian emigrants. And it was tradition to have an associate pastor um, uh, to serve in native Czech or Slovak uh, language. And um, when um, in Yugoslavia happened the civil war, a lot of refugees appeared in Windsor, and um, some came to Christ and attended uh, Grace Baptist Church. So there was a new um, need to serve also not just in Czechoslovakian, but also in Serbo-Croatian language. And this kind of pastor was uh, hard to find. So they were calling on him while still he was at seminary, like, you have already uh, a working place, full-time ministry. Um, just come to Canada and we need you. And um, So in 2004, we accepted their call and... Um, since, yeah, since then, uh, in the last 15 years, Jan is pastoring this uh, church. And um, two years ago, we have a habit every five years, we learn from one missionaries, older missionaries, that every year to test God's will for your life. So every, and after 10 years, we said, Lord, what is next five years? And in the middle of that two and a half after, something happened and um, we were questioning, okay, so uh, we want to be in your will. Wherever is your will, there is our home and our ministry. And uh, in um, uh, 2017, we were accepted by ABWE Canada, which is uh, a cross-border for world evangelism mission agency. And as Jan mentioned, uh, ABWE uh, US, uh, it's international uh, with a headquarter in Harrisburg. So briefly, just uh, in, a, in a two sentences, what is our goal, what we uh, wanted to accomplish? Our call is to plant churches in Serbia through street, literature, and evangelism, and the media ministry. Could you imagine uh, in one so-called Christian country, nominal Christian country, what's mean nominal? Nominal means tradition is had. A Bible is buried in the tradition or um, 
um, below. Uh, and uh, there is no um, evangelical churches in um, cities um, sized like um, Harrisburg or Lancaster. No single evangelical church. So um, God put on our heart to reach these uh, places, this region, with um, equipping a um, larger vehicle with um, Bibles, New Testaments, uh, single Gospels, um, booklets, uh, pamphlets, DVDs, and to take it to these um, places, uh, uh, cities and villages and towns, to places where people usually are gathering by their customs, um, like um, farmers' markets, uh, waterfronts, parks, downtowns, uh, in front cinema, theater, to put our stand to bring attention uh, from passers-by and to try to talk with them and to share gospel one-on-one. And... Um, those, um, I mean, independence, how people will um, respond um, to our talk, we will equip them, or not equip, but supply them with um, a literature, available literature. They, we will give them our website and um, our, the way how to contact us. We will seek to revisit those people and uh, to gather two or three together and to start with Bible studies. Our RV, uh, our vehicle will be equipped for that purpose uh, where to have a small Bible studies. And um, uh, we will follow them up, up to points when they understand the way of salvation and challenge them to accept this only way to God, Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. Help them to grow in the knowledge of the Lord and to plant churches. So during the winter months, we'll be working on follow-up with those people who will be contacting us, and especially on media, media ministry. We're already working from Canada on media ministry, especially Logos Radio in Slovakia. Uh, so in 2017, the Logos Radio editor called upon us for help. They needed badly the financial help to continue this ministry, but also to new contributions for, uh, for the radio. So in 2018, um, the Logos Radio was uh, recovered, and since then it's fully functioning. And I'm searching for suitable uh, written materials, and she's adapting those materials to written or radio, radio style, and she also writes her own messages and records it, and then later I'm editing and preparing for, for online radio. Uh, so beside uh, radio ministry that we do now from, from Canada, uh, also the translation and publishing uh, Christian booklets and DVDs into Serbian and Slovak language has been going since 2010. And um, we were translating the Day of uh, Discoveries DVDs, um, um, which belongs to um, our Daily Bread um, team. The new and... Um, Challenging for us is going to be um, 
preparing short clips, video clips, up to five minutes, um, with evangelistic, um, exegetic, and um, apologetic content, something very practical, what it means to be born again, um, uh, what... um, I don't know, what are the arguments against um, evolution? Is there a savior? Is there a possibility of chances? What the mathematics say about it? And something like that to catch their attention and uh, um, teach them. How can you pray for us? Um, as I mentioned earlier, we are fully funded for um, our monthly, as a, having our monthly support 100%, but our logos... Logos Radio Ministry is still not fully funded. We are still short approximately $200 per month. Please pray for this ministry that we will be able to fund this ministry in maybe next two months. Pray for our health. We are not 20 years old anymore, but Lord gave us strength and we want to go. We want to serve. That pray for us that we may stay physically, mentally and spiritually fit. Pray for our son, Benjamin. He is 19. He is at uh, the college studying uh, public relations. And um, it will be hard for him because he was four when we came to Canada. And um, Canada is his country. All his childhood, um, um, his um, youthhood. And, uh, and he doesn't speak uh, Serbian at all. We are also raising funds for the Bibles, for literature, and for small, small RV, European RV. If some, someone would like to help, please let us know. Uh, if you, you would like to receive our newsletters, stop at the table there in the foyer, um, put your email and your name, and we will be very happy to send you our newsletter. Uh, there is also our prayer card and ministry brochure. Please take one and learn more about uh, our ministry. Thank you for this privilege being being with you and sharing our ministry with you. Thank you. Thank you. No, we're humbled to be a part of uh, what God is doing in your lives and, and the mission that God has you on. And we're excited to partner with you, Jan and Anna, as you guys go to Serbia. And uh, I mean, RV, just going from north down to the south in Serbia, I love it. And they were in the young adults class earlier and just sharing about the religious temperature in Serbia. And it was just, it's, it's dark. It's very dark. And they're taking the light of the gospel into Serbia. So it's very, very exciting stuff. Um, guys, we have a, a really, this, this great marriage conference is coming up. And, and as we watch this quick little trailer that's going to show you a little bit more information about the, the conference, I'd love you to pass the friendship folders down the rows as you guys check out this video. I think one of the greatest gifts you can really give to the next generation uh, is faithfulness and fidelity in, in, in marriage. You are ancestors to someone yet to come. <laughs> nice things up a bit. Hey, kids. <laughs> I expect a husband of mine to be more refined. The thrill is gone. I know the feeling. I was exhausted. 
This is marriage. There is no wine in marriage. <laughs> Doesn't it smell fantastic? Dave, I really have lost my feelings for you. We were in an argument, and I grabbed her as hard as I could, and I threw her down on the bed. During my depression, I just uh, did some things that really hurt Tony, hurt him real badly, and, and hurt our marriage. Where does marriage always go wrong? It's when I want the right to set the rules by which this relationship would work. You don't have issues. You are the issue, both of you. Our marriage is uh, the central glue as an institution that is holding civilization together. We are responsible then to turn and to forgive others, even when it's horrendous sin. I want to talk to you, but um, I feel a lot better if you put that knife down. You cannot have a successful marriage without the invasion of the supernatural. What the cross promises marriage is fresh starts and new beginnings. Through testimonies, real stories, humor, and most importantly, the Word of God, we're going to invest in our marriages. So the 21st and 22nd of February, uh, you can register on the, first, uh, the front page of our website, as well as stop by the Welcome Center, and they'd love to help you out. Um, one more thing, ladies, we have a women's paint night coming up on the 6th of March, and you can uh, find out more information on the front page of our website, as well as being able to sign up. There's child care uh, that's available for this event, and this is for all women of Crossroads, just to connect, fellowship, and uh, Hopefully come up with a product in your painting that looks somewhat like the group that's going to help you. You know, because you ever go to those places and they teach you how to paint something and yours looks nothing like the thing that they try to help you paint. Um, so this isn't for those who are proficient. This is for those who just want to have fun and hang out and uh, connect with other women. So this is going to be on the 6th of March. Ushers, I'm going to invite you all forward as we receive our morning offering. And uh, guys, I'm, I'm humbled at what Jan and Anna were saying. And, you know, last night I got the chance to talk to, to Anna and... Hearing her talk last night to the Saturday night crowd, she was saying, you know, 55 years old and God is calling me into the mission field. How powerful is that? God can use all of us. No matter what age, no matter what stage, God can use all of us for his glory and to take the gospel to people who need it. So let's go before the Lord as we continue on this morning. Jesus, we love you. And we're so thankful that Jesus, we read in, in the word, we read in, in Isaiah that talks about you, Jesus, being led like a lamb to the slaughter. And then we, we read later on, Jesus, that by your stripes we are healed. Praise you, Jesus, that we have that truth and that we are saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. And as we continue on this morning, as we give, I pray that we would give as scripture calls us to with a, cheerful, with a cheerful heart, knowing that we give towards a mission that is alive and active. Father, as we open up your word, speak to us. Holy Spirit, move. We ask all things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
As we have been going on this journey of unhurried, we have looked at uh, a number of thoughts. And one of the biggest thoughts we looked at was that unhurried is really a state of the heart. It's not as much a state of your schedule as it is a state of your heart. That you're able to go through life without being uh, upset, without being angry all the time, without being worried all the time. And, and when, when you're able to live life from the fullness of Christ, like God has filled your cup up, now you're able to handle the bumps. You're able to handle the, the inconveniences of life, the pain of life. Somebody said that worry is basically concern minus God. Like taking your concerns into your own hands without God. That's what worry is. And I think we all struggle with that. We struggle because there's things that we're certainly concerned over, things that we have that we should be concerned about. But worry is to, to deal those things without God. And so when you have an unhurried life, when you have an unhurried heart, you can, uh, you can go through that. But if, if the heart is the problem, if the heart is at the root of the, uh, of the unhurried life, if it's not the schedule, if it's not your calendar, because the calendar will come and go, your schedule will change. We looked last week, we said that Jesus lived a busy life. He was full. His calendar was full. So unhurried does not mean that you're not doing anything. Unhurried means that your heart is able to be able, you've gotten alone with God, and God has filled your cup up. You're able to go into life with this manner. If it is a heart problem that we're dealing with, May I remind you this morning that sometimes God has to do heart surgery. Did you catch that? If it's a heart problem, sometimes God has to do heart surgery. There are times that God has to come and he has to work with our heart and he has to transform our heart and he has to, he has to deal with us in those terms. And quite often when he's doing heart surgery, it involves pain. And for most of us, we run away from pain. I have never signed up for the list to help with pain, right? I've never signed up to get pain. Like, yeah, who's giving out pain today? I run from that guy, right? You, you don't want to sign up for pain, but yet when God is working with us, there's many times pain involved in the relationship, pain involved in our life, and he is using it for his glory, and he's using it as a form of heart surgery. You know, the pace of pain can become the pace of God's love and grace. As you start to see pain in your life, you start to be conflicted with pain, what do we typically do? We want to go and we want to salve the pain. We live in a culture that cannot stand pain. We have more uh, more pain salving happening in our world than ever before. We have more medic presses open on every corner, right? Uh, we, we have problems everywhere, and it's like you can just keep salving this pain. And, and as you come and you start to get to know God, uh, there, there's pain comes into your life, and many times we run from God and we go to the salve. We go over and we try we try to salve this, and we we can go to multiple things. You can go to work. You can become a workaholic. You can devote and sell your soul out to that company, to that job, to, to, to whatever that drive is for, for work. You, you can go to alcohol. You, you can take alcohol and try and salve this, salve this pain. You can take, you can take prescription drugs and, and you can, you can salve it with pills. You, you can salve it with, with, uh, with food. You can salve it with activity. You can salve it with entertainment. And so the culture that we live in today says when you have pain, you go rushing and you salve that pain. Well, this morning I want to look at three ways that God actually uses pain in our life. Like how, how is it that that pain maybe, you know, could, could God be performing heart surgery in my life? 
And so the first, first way that, that he does this, the uh, first form of heart surgery is waiting. And, you know, nobody likes to wait. Since the invention of the microwave, nobody likes to wait. Nobody likes to sign up to go waiting today. Um, we, we're just always in a hurry. We're always in a rush. We read in the scripture, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And, and we, we always go to the renew their strength. They will have wings like eagles, but nobody wants to sit and wait. Nobody wants to go through the painful waiting process. Look what the Apostle Paul said here. This is very interesting. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, he says, Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. Now, he had just shared these incredible truths that God teaches him, that God was giving him. And, and the Apostle Paul could have been the one to boast the most. He could have, he had every bragging right known to man. Uh, he had met God on the Damascus Road. He saw Jesus, the, the bright light came on to him. God himself spoke to him. Uh, there, he, he used to be the biggest offender against Christianity. Now he becomes the biggest defender for Christianity. Uh, his life has had dramatic change. So he had bragging rights. But what the Apostle Paul says here is even though I've had all that, even though I've had all these revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud... I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. I, I was To keep me from becoming proud, I was given. Now, who did the giving here? He was giving. The, the God of the universe gives him a thorn in the flesh. That is a powerful statement, a thorn in the flesh. He doesn't say, well, you know, I had a little splinter and I just had to deal with it. He says a thorn in the flesh. Just get that imagery with you. You grab onto a thorn and it's sunk deep down into your flesh. Last night a guy in the service raised his hand and goes, I just had one taken out. <laughs> his hand had bandages all over it. He literally he had a medical procedure to get the thing taken care of. He said it was in there for several months. Uh, he, he went and worked. He was helping a friend out in September. He said and this thing got in there. It got infected. had all kind of problems. And, and, you know, when, when we have pain, we scream, we, we, we want that gone. But the Apostle Paul says, I was given. What? What is that? I, I thought whenever I was following God that it's going to be me and Jesus and we're going to strength and it's going to feel good. Paul says, I was given a thorn in my flesh. My flesh had pain. And this pain was constant, and the pain was continual, and it was so that I did not become proud. Do you understand, like, God's not going to compete with your ego? He's not going to compete with my ego? Um, this is so powerful. Uh, God, God does not need my, my resume to, 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 to work. As a matter of fact, you know, what does God do whenever, you have, whenever we hand him a resume, right? He just takes it and... Well, maybe that's not the best illustration, right? But, but he takes it, he takes it, and he just rips it up, right? That's what God does. Listen, your, 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 your resume to God, he says that he needs, you, you need his strength. And as you come before God Almighty, he says, listen, he will not deal with the proud. He says the proud is, he, the, your pride and God's humility cannot coexist. Your, your ego ruins like your life it really does and and how many people have i watched their life is subject to their ego 
Like they've, they've, they've made some critical decisions because of their ego, because of their pride. And, and, and critical things have happened in their life. And, 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 and at the center is their pride. And their pride has really created a trap that they can't even see because it's all in the name of my pain, my pain, my pain. Uh, look what Paul says there. He says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time, look at this, verse 9, each time he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God says that his grace is enough. That's all that you need. Paul, I'm not going to remove that because my grace is all you need. You don't need that thorn removed. What? God, you told me to pray about everything. I'm going out. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm telling other people about you. I, I, I'm doing what you told me to do. Paul, that thorn will stay in your flesh. My grace is all you need. As a matter of fact, in your weakness, in your weakness, Paul, I will be seen as strong. So now I am glad to post about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Verse 10. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness, in my insult, in hardships, in persecution, troubles. I take pleasure in these things because I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak... Then I am strong. You know, it's easy to read that and think he's saying, well, I'm weak now, I'll become strong later. When I am weak, then I'll become strong. No, no, he says, you are weak, I am weak, I am strong at the same time. How does that happen? How can you be weak and strong at the same time? It's the power of Christ who dwells in us, who lives in us, and who transforms us. He says here, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I am strong through the power of Christ who lives in me. The, the, the next thing that, that happens in our life is dry times. You go through dry seasons, and, and quite often there will be dry seasons and, and as we're going through these moments of pain, I want to throw this thought out there this morning. Do we have enough room for God to grow in our lives if it involves weakness and suffering? The Apostle Paul, he, he, he saw this weakness, he saw suffering, yet he saw the strength of God Almighty in the midst of his weakness and suffering. And, and are we willing, are we willing to follow Christ long enough that when the pain comes in, we're able to be there on the other side of the pain. For the Apostle Paul, he said he had a thorn in the flesh. And many people, people thought they could you know, figure out what that was. We don't know what it was. We know he, just ha- he had some serious issue there. And so the Apostle Paul, he was able to endure it, not because he was a super Christian, but because he was connected to God. And as he, as he stayed in this relationship with God, he went, through, he went through those times of waiting. And then he goes into dry seasons. And you know, for all of us, we will go through a dry season in your life. I know it's hard to think of a dry season. We live in Pittsburgh. It's always rainy season, isn't it? You know, 
we're happy to get two inches of snow just because it wasn't rain. So we're, we're just happy with that right now, right? But there are times that you go through dry seasons. Look here at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. The, the Apostle Paul says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships that we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. You ever get to, do you ever feel like that verse? I just, I'm overwhelmed. He, he says, listen, there was so much danger that was happening. We were under this pressure and we did not think we were going to make it. It was overwhelming. And this was a, a cloud of, of heaviness on my mind and on my heart and on my soul. I can relate to that. That happens in my life. You can relate to that. We understand this because there are things in your life that are become overwhelming, can become heavy burdens. Look at verse 9. He continues. He says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. We thought it was over. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raised us from the dead. Those moments, whenever we are going through this overwhelming, it's easy to go to the salve. If we come back to the God and not to the salve, you will find out what he's doing. And you may not see it all. I talked to a lady last night. She was, she was weeping with me after the service. And she shared, shared some of the heavy things that she was going through. And I said, you may not see what God is doing until many years after you are gone. Like, like you may live your entire life and know, know what God was doing. The Apostle Paul says, listen, I can see what has happened here. That was so that we would not rely on ourselves, but that would we, we would rely on God. He takes dead things and brings them back to life. And so it is in our life. There are things that are dying all around us. There are relationships that are dying. There are uh, just jobs, that, you know, finances. And you look at all these situations. God comes and he transforms people. He transforms brokenness. He takes the, the hard-hearted. He takes the, the downhearted. He takes all of us and gives us that opportunity but do you see what Apostle Paul said? He said, wow, the hardships that I was going through, those moments that I thought God wasn't there, my wilderness experience, he says, actually, God was there. And he did it so that I could rely on him. You know, he did this with the, the God did this with the children of Israel. Uh, the, the children of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt for like 400 years, slaves in Egypt. And then they come out of Egypt. He takes them out and he promises them a land. It was called the promised land. And they come out and they go through and they're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Like they just keep doing this circles on the map. You see, it's kind of like this, just like if they had a map, it would have been incredible that they could have just seen what God was doing. He was taking them in a wilderness experience. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness for these 40 years. He did this to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. Like this, the God who cares for his people, he took a nation of people. He took two million people and he put them out there and they went through the desert 
They're in the wilderness for 40 years, and he says he did this to humble them. Again, pride and God's work cannot go together. He says, I did this to humble you and to test you, test you to see what was going on in your heart, whether you would keep the commands. God was going to give them a land and he wanted them to live in a certain way. So he was taking them through this 40-year wilderness. And so what's going on in your dry time? God is taking us. He's making us humble. He's, he's doing heart surgery. He's doing heart surgery. Deuteronomy 8, 8, 5 says, no, this is just a few verses later. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Like God will discipline you. And you know what? Discipline is never fun. It's never fun. When my kids were little, I, uh, I hated disciplining. But I'll tell you what, I'm so thankful that I did. When, when the kids were little, we, we had neighbors across the street, Paz and Norma Wardle. They were fantastic people. And Paz and Norma, they were like another set of grandparents to us. And my kids would often want to go running across the street. And I would teach them, you know. You don't just run across the street because you see Puzz and Norma. You don't just go over there because they're good people. You have to look to the left. You have to look to the right. Then you look to the left before you go over. And I'll tell you what, I remember several times when those kids were little telling them, and and like losing my mind, you know, like I could see things that they couldn't see. All they could see was the good across the street. But I could see the, the trucks and the cars that were coming up and down. So I would teach them that when there were no trucks. But I'll tell you what, when I did see a truck, and I could see it down at the corner. And, and, and by the way, they run that stop sign. I just want you to know. All right? Anybody can help with that. They run that stop sign by my house. Okay? They run it constantly. And I'm teaching my kids this. And I would lose my mind. And you would yell at your kid. And you'd say, Stop! You're not going across the street. As a matter of fact, because you didn't look both ways, you're not going anywhere. You're going inside. Well, you're a mean dad. Yeah, I was a, I was a ferocious dad, huh? What kind of idiot would yell at their kid because he's going to get run over by a truck? Do you see? Do you see how silly that would be? To not... Discipline your kid. And so God does this in our life. And, and there's trucks going to run us over. There's, there's like things that God's trying to do in your life. And, and he sees the truck down there and he knows the stop sign. And he knows that they run it all the time. And he sees that, oh, you can see is something good. But you don't see this. And you're not seeing this. And God's saying, listen, Stop. And he takes us and he puts us out in the wilderness and he disciplines us. And, and you know what? Discipline isn't even necessary that you've done something bad. It's that he loves you and he's teaching you something good. Did you catch that? My kids weren't evil because they didn't look both ways across the street. They just had to grow. And they had to learn that. And And so... So that's what happens with your kids. That's what happens with us. We, we have to grow. And, and so the Spirit of God is growing me. He's growing you. And, you know, there's still things that he's disciplining me. He's disciplining you over. And, and there's things that you're, you may not know until you get to heaven. You may not know until ten years down the road. You know, the third thing that God does is he prunes us. Pruning is, is so hard. I, 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 when I think about pruning in my life, 
you know, you think of that tree that gets pruned. Again, back to Norman Paz across the street. They had this beautiful tree. And it's, uh, I don't know what kind of tree it is. It's just beautiful. It's got big leaves. Maybe it's a maple tree or something like that. But it's just beautiful. I think they turn orange in the fall. They're just beautiful leaves. And you sit there, and it's, the, it's a big round tree. And when we moved in, that was like, you know, before we had kids, we'd sit there and look at the tree. <laughs> you know? Now, after you have kids, you don't have time to look at anything, right? So, but before we had kids, we'd sit and look at that tree. And I'd look out the window in the fall and say, man, I'm colorblind, but that is the most beautiful tree. It is bright, bright orange or something like that. And I'm just like, this is phenomenal. And one day, I'll never forget, a truck pulls up and starts cutting this tree. I'm like, Puzz, what are you doing? You don't understand. I bought my house because I could look at your tree. He's starting. The guy's out there. And there's stuff falling everywhere. And I'm like, Puzz, what are you doing? He goes, Puzz is an older guy. He goes, listen, if I don't prune that tree, it won't look beautiful next year. I said, Puzz, why would, what do you mean? I don't get it, man. That's a waste of money pruning the tree. And when he pruned that tree, it didn't look too good. The leaves were all gone. It was kind of barren. But I'll tell you what, Puzz is gone and that tree is still going. And, and he, he would tell me every few years he would get that, get that thing pruned. And I noticed that. We lived there 20 years. Every couple of years he kept pruning that thing. And he'd pay a lot of money because he really loved the value of that tree. And he thought it was absolutely beautiful. And, but listen, whenever you look at it, you say, what is going on? Uh, th- this happens in our life sometimes. We, we get pruned and God, God has to thin out the branches. He, he, has to, he has to cut us back so that we will grow. Look what Jesus said in John chapter 15. He said, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine. God himself, God the Father, is the one with the, with the shears. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every, ban- every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Would you read with me the yellow words there? And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. For some reason, I've read over that through the years and thought that he would prune the branches that didn't produce so that they would produce. And the text Jesus himself said that he prunes the branches that are already bearing fruit. That is, this is the game changer, folks. You're growing in Christ, and he's, you're starting to bear fruit, and he has to trim us because he knows that you can bear even more. Love, joy, peace, gentleness. New disciples, other people that will come to know Jesus because of your life. He says, this is going to hurt, but you're going to thank me later. He starts trimming. And that's how he performs heart surgery. 
You are already clean, verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. He says, I want you to abide, like remain connected to me. And you'll notice this word abide in me, that phrase, it's said several times in the next five verses. He says, abide in me and I in you. So let's have a relationship and I want you to stay close to me. As the, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You will not produce fruit unless you're abiding, unless you're connected, unless that you are grafted to Jesus. I am the vine, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. You stay connected, you'll bear fruit. Because you're connected, not because you can bear fruit. Too long we have looked at the branch and we've said, come on, bear fruit. You can't bear fruit unless you're connected. The branch cannot bear fruit without the connection. As a matter of fact, I would dare say that the only way, and this is what the scripture teaches us, that that fruit happens is because of the, of the vine. So the branches, we are the branches. He is the vine, we are the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a, as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. That's a pretty powerful promise from God, isn't it? If you abide in me, you're going to ask your desires. Because here's what happens. When you're abiding in God, you're connected to the vine. Now what's out here is his desire. And so you're going to come back and you're going to ask him. Your desires are going to match up with his desires. And so now you're going to ask him and he says, whatever you ask, it'll be done. Do we really believe that? Then why aren't we abiding in him? Why are we trying to produce the fruit on ourselves? Why are we coming up with the latest gimmick? Why are we not connected to him? Why are we going to salve? Why are we not connected to him? By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. I want you to look at the process of growth here this morning you know when you plant a tree you got that nice little nice little seedling huh that's the awe moment isn't it that just makes you go aww and it just looks so sweet but I, I, I want you to catch this because this is what happens in our Christian life you come to know Jesus and the very first stage is this uh, you, you discover God you, you just discover who he is and and you start to grow. And so many in our church right now, there are many people. Thanks be to God what he is doing in our church right now. There are just, just an incredible amount of people that have started a relationship with God in this past year. Can we thank God for that? What a great God. Amen. And for some of you, you remember that 20 years ago. You remember it two years ago. You remember it 10 days ago. Um, you discovered God. And what happens is you start to grow. You start to know him. And so you start growing and you discover who he is. You, you start learning about him. And so you're that little tree. And, you know, I have one of those little trees in my front lawn. 
And it's, there, we put one out there about three years ago. It, and, you know, we had the stick that you tied it to the stick. So when the storm came, it didn't blow it over. And you tied it to that stick. And it's just like I had a Charlie Brown tree out there for three years now, you know. And it's just like, wow. One day that tree is going to be big and it's going to grow. And, and here's what happens as you, as you start to grow. The next thing is you start to serve. So you, you go from what's in it from me to, wow, now I can, I can help somebody else. And, and so you're, you're at stage three and you start to serve. And what happens is your tree has grown and it's filled with leaves and, and it's started to produce fruit. And it looks really good. I mean, you've got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And all your friends are saying, wow. Something's changed about you, and you're like, I don't know what happened to me, but I started going up to that church, and something's different, and, and you, start, you start saying all stuff like that, and like all of a sudden you start to give. You see that there's, you, you start to care about other people. Uh, you start to serve God. Maybe you get involved in the church. You're helping the youth group. You're helping the parking lot. You, you help all over the church, and there's, you're just like, I, I want to know God more, and I'm serving him. And then all of a sudden, this next stage, God says, I'm going to prune you. And your tree looks like that. And you're like, wait a minute. God, I was producing fruit. I had love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And God gives you a reason to be mad. And you want to learn about forgiveness and gentleness and patience. And all of a sudden you have this reason to be mad. And it's like, wait a minute. God's, pr- God's pruning you. God's coming along and, he, and he's trimming you. And, he's, and, and what happens is you've got to come to this point where you re- rediscover God. You like come to understand like either my roots are going to go down deep or this tree isn't going to stand anymore. And sadly, I've watched many people throughout, throughout years, years of ministry, watching people and, and growth in Christ. And, and many will come right to here and they get pruned and they, they doubt their God. It was the same God who was there whenever they were a little seedling. And the same God that they had all that warm, fuzzy feel whenever they first started to grow. And it was the same God who produced patience and peace and love and joy and forgiveness and all these things in her life. But all of a sudden, man, it hurt. Folks, that's where I want you to be reminded that God himself is the vine dresser. He keeps that tool in his hand. He's the pruner. And so you rediscover God. Either your roots are going to go down deep. You know, I have a tree in the back of my yard, and, and I'll notice we're just, we just don't take care of the thing. <laughs> but every now and then a big storm comes by, and it naturally gets pruned. When that storm comes by, I'm not worried about that tree coming down. I'm worried about the, the limbs breaking off. And, man, the tree is strong, but, man, the, it's a natural pruning. And I go out and I go to cut the grass in the summer and I'll pick up all these limbs that have come down all winter. And it's like, man, this is what happens in our life. Sometimes there's storms that do this to us. And, but remember, God is still the one. He's pruning. And as you rediscover God, look what happens. You start to grow again. You start to get to know Him again. And growth begins again. And all of a sudden, the leaves start to come back. And you start looking at your life and you're a little skeptical. You're like, okay, God. I can forgive again, and I can love again, and, and I can do this again, and I can, I can be your follower again. And, and then look what God does. You bear much fruit. And the fruit that you thought in stage three, like you were in stage three, and you were like, wow, I could forgive my mom, I could forgive my dad. You thought that was something. 
And now over here, you're, you're bearing much fruit. And the fruit remains, as the Scripture says. And, and so what happens is we go through pruning quite often. It's not like you're pruned once and then you're done. It's like you're going to be pruned again and again and again because God is the vine dresser. James said this. He says, count it all joy. He says, my brothers and sisters, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, and this patience produces character. Like, count it joy. Folks, God is slowing our hearts down so that you'll know Him. Not that you'll have salve. Not that you'll just feel better in the morning. But that you'll know Him. And, and like, we're never going to do this unless we go to that deeper level of trust and understanding who He is. I like what F.B. Meyer said. He said, God always keeps the discipline of sorrow in his own hands. He always keeps the discipline of sorrow in his own hands. My, our Lord said, my father is the husbandman. His hand holds the pruning knife. His eye watches the crucible. His gentle touch is on the pulse while the operation is in progress. He will not allow even the devil to have his own way with us. As in the case of Job, so always. The moments are, uh, the, the moments are carefully allotted. The severity of the test is exactly determined as by the reserves of grace and strength which are lying unrecognized in your soul, but will be sought for and used beneath the severe pressure of pain. He holds the winds in his fist and the waters in the hollow of his hands. He dare not risk the loss of that which cost him the blood of his son. God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tried above what you are able. I love that. God is not going to risk you. He died on the cross to pay for your sin and you're mad at him because he did this. And you're in pain and you're suffering. And listen, those are all natural emotions. But may I remind you this morning that God is slowing your heart down. Don't go for the salve. Oh, this is so easy. Go for the God who sacrificed everything for your soul. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. I want to ask you this morning to, to just, as we end this series on Unhurried, to just sit back. I've asked Zach to sing a song this morning to really just take us into the presence of God. And I'm just going to ask you to, to respond to your God. As you hear these words, as you listen to them and you see the words on the screen, would you just not sing but, but take it into your heart? And, and would you meet with God Almighty? As we close our service, Lord, be with your people this morning. We are all in pain. There are, all, there are prunings, there are waitings, there are dry seasons. But God, we have this confident assurance that our roots are deep in you. And we'll be here after the storm, not because we're strong trees but because we're dedicated and committed to abiding in you because you will produce the fruit. Be with your people as they respond to you.
Just say. 